Anyway, let us pray. O God, who in creating human nature has wonderfully dignified it and still more wonderfully reformed it, grant that we may become partakers of his divine nature, who deigned to partake of our human nature, thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, throughout all ages of ages. Amen. I want to talk today about why we use icons and images in the church when the Bible forbids them, so many people think. And just as a stepping back to some discussions we've had in the past, it really is easy to misunderstand all of this uh, and to comprehend it and the reality of what orthodoxy is in a very limited perspective, from a very limited perspective and in a limited way. And then consider that limitation to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that's where we go wrong. And remember what we were trying to say in the past is that we're trying to grasp this. We're given things to say to people who are outside the church and don't comprehend, but we're also trying to grasp it for ourselves. We want to draw in this. We don't want to know what needs to be known. Anyone can do that. We want to drawn into the idea of spirituality. Consider that we are the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth else has, is idolatry. It's Ken, uh, is idolatry. We want to be drawn into this. Uh, and that's also reason, one of the reasons why in, the orth, in orthodoxy, the focus is upon the individual. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have corporate worship and don't corporate understanding of reality, but you and I must focus. I can't worry about you. I can't make you be what Christ wants you to be. But I can work on me. That's my assignment. And hopefully each of us is going through that and yielding ourselves to him so that we may be drawn more deeply into the mystery of his life and of his being. It's really what it's all about. So in any case, when we talk about icons and images, we want to see it from that perspective. Not, well, we've got this truth and all those people out there, by golly, they don't have a thing. That's to have the wrong, that means we're on the outs. In fact, maybe we're farther out than other people at that point in time. Well, as you know, icons adorn Orthodox churches. And depending on, on this, the, the newness of the church, the, the right, a number of different factors, there may be more or fewer. Uh, I had an Ethiopian lady in my parish in Wichita Falls, and, and we had more icons and imageries than you have here, and yet she said, this is nothing compared to Ethiopia. She said, there's no such thing as blank wall space in the church in Ethiopia. So it all depends on a lot of factors, so don't make judgments on it on the basis of that. Especially if you go to a storefront church which doesn't want to spend money to put up icons uh, when, when they're not going to be there forever, in any case. So anyway, they, they adorn or they're supposed to adorn our churches. And immediately when someone comes in and sees this, and the more imagery we have, the worse this becomes. Someone who's not orthodox uh, immediately hears the, the commandment from Exodus you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
how many of you have done that <laughs> when you struggled with icons and seeing the imagery? Well, I want to point out a couple of things that the church points out to us. Graven image is edolon, from which we get the word idol, not ikonos, from which we get the word icon. Secondly, it says, in the heaven above, the angelic realm, or in the earth beneath, that is anything that is material, or in the water under the earth, fish, for example. So you see, we don't want to make idols of these things. And actually, going back to what I said as in, in the initial part, if we have a misunderstanding of the wholeness of the truth, a limited perspective, and we make that the final end-all understanding of reality, we've created an idol. It's no different than the, than the, the Canaanites who were bowing down to Baal. I like to tell the story, you know, there's one line in one of the prophets, and I don't think you even get this in English, you do see it in Hebrew, where Baal meant, Baal in Hebrew meant husband. And so the prophet spoke on behalf of God and said, you call him that which you created, Baal, but I am your Baal. I am your husband. <laughs> the imagery of the church as the bride of Christ really comes through there. Something deeper, more profound, and it's easy to misunderstand. However, having said that, let's just say that that statement in Exodus 24 is a prohibition against imagery. Let's just say, hypothetically. Then why is it that the Bible allows a number of images? For example, the Ark of the Covenant had what? Two angels facing each other. And that was considered the throne of God, heaven above. What about the fiery serpent for healing in the wilderness, where God said, if you, if you make an image of two serpents facing each other and hold it up when the serpent, serpents are biting and killing the people out here in the wilderness, they will be healed. And so in the Eastern Rite, an archbishop or bishop's crozier and in the eastern right they have two staffs that they use one which we only see when bishop john comes here and that's the one he uses for his offices which is more for leaning and giving him the privilege of leaning while the rest of us are wearing ourselves outstanding you see <laughs> um, so he has that privilege but when he brings his crozier it is a single staff and you're thinking of a crozier bishop's staff as being like in the western tradition where it's the shepherd's crook uh, I like to say that so that he can take clowns like you and me and yank us off the stage, you know. So, in any case, the, the bishop's crozier in the Eastern Rite is a single staff with two snakes looking at each other or actually looking at what's right between them, and that is the cross. And so, but in any case, the imagery, the fiery serpent for healing, the temple doors in the ancient temple, had two pillars, 2 Kings 7, 15 to 21 tells us this, two pillars on the front door. Now, we would look at this and we'd think Greek, Greek sculpturing, a Greek, Greek architecture or something like that, something that fits our cultural understanding. But it, to the ancient Semites, on the doors of temples, two columns like that represented divine life. Divine life abides here. This is a temple of the divine. And so it was, a, it was an icon, an image, if you will to the ancient Hebrews. 
an image that was even shared by their non-believing friends and neighbors. And what about 1 Kings 6.29, where angels, palm trees, and flowers were all impressed upon through painting or whatever uh, on, the, on the temple doors. Why? Because the temple was an image of Eden and the original relationship with God. Now, obviously there's a prohibition of some sort, but is it the absolute thing that we have made it? I don't think so. And that is why then in the early church, Christians could also make use of images. For example, the dove. In Luke's gospel, it says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And it's, it always cracks me up that you go into some American Christian churches and they have no imagery, and yet they have banners of a descending dove. Hello. What is that all about? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, of course. But God appeared in the form of a, of a creature in the heavens or on the earth beneath. He did. And that's why they do it. And instinctively, they're doing the right thing. What about fish? What about the fish as a symbol of Christianity? All over, you see, we, don't you know when you see cars and they have a fish on the back, you know they're, they're a Christian. They're Christians, you know. Uh, why do people do that? Many of them people who think that Exodus 24 prohibits the use of imagery. Well, that's what it is. Something in the seas and the waters below. The fish. Where do we get that? Well, in the early church, you know, there was a motto probably before the creed was established uh, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, profession of faith. And if you take the first letters of each of the Greek words, you have ichthus, which is the Greek word for fish. So the fish became the symbol of Christianity and of being Christian. And what about the lamb? It was St. John the Baptist himself who said that when he looked at Jesus, behold the lamb of God. And so from the earliest years, the lamb was used as a symbol of Jesus. In fact, some of the imagery that you can find in ancient sources show the lamb, and he's got blood pouring out of his chest. And in the Council of Quinisext in 692, and actually uh, it's known by two names, either Trullo or Quinisext, and it was actually a council called after the fifth and sixth ecumenical councils because neither of them published canons, and it was customary to publish canons uh, at the ecumenical councils, and they didn't do it in the 5th and 6th, so they came back together again and passed a series of canons. And one of them said this, in some pictures of the venerable icons, by the way, this is before the iconographic struggle, before it, in some pictures of the venerable icons, a lamb is painted, indicating our true lamb, Christ our God. Embracing, therefore, the ancient types and shadows as symbols of the truth and patterns given to the church we prefer grace and truth, receiving it as the fulfillment of the law. In order, therefore, that that which is perfect may be delineated to the eyes of all. At least in colored expression, we decree that the figure in human form of the Lamb who taketh away the sin of the world, Christ our God, be henceforth exhibited in images instead of the ancient Lamb, so that all may understand by means of it the depths of the humiliation of the Word of God. 
Who's going to challenge that one? And the way that's been worked out and, and the way it was intended was that in place of the lamb over the altar in some form, there would be the crucifix with the dead Christ on it. And in both rites do that. And he has to be, unlike some of the usages, unfortunately, in Central and South America where Christ is in agony, and if you've ever seen it, it's awful looking, uh, he's dead, according to ancient canon law, because God descended to the dead. He truly died. And that's why the crucifix is mandatory on altars. And the crucifix, crucifix is where the body of Christ is on the cross in dead form. The one up over the wall is called a Christus Rex. A blank cross is called a cross. So when I say crucifix, I don't want you to think of an empty cross. That won't cut it. It has to be the image of Christ in human form, dead on the cross, hanging on the cross. Now let's look at the word, the meaning of the word uh, icon. Yeah, you can wear anything you want. It just on the altar it has to be. Just up at the altar. Yes, good question. Thank you. Although probably it probably is better if you have a crucifix, it's not mandatory. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I've heard that too, but I have not been able to verify that. I was going to mention that as one of the practices, but since I can't verify it historically, I don't want to bring it up. Uh, there's there's a lot out there that's a lot out there that isn't necessarily reliable. Nice and quaint, you know. We we like some of those stories, but some, they're not always historical. So I don't know. It might be it makes sense, but. Hey, yeah, if you can find it, by all means, if you want to do the research, I'm, I'm just going to say historically I've never seen it. So if you want to do the research, go for it. Tell me what you find and show me the evidence. I'm a historian by heart, so you have to show me the historical evidence. I need to see the evidence. I want book, chapter, and verse of, of sources. I'm sorry? I subscribe to Mark. Oh, yeah, I used to do that, yeah. And, yeah, they have some really good stuff coming mainly out of non-Christian sources. What comes out of Christian sources, I think. Jewish. Jewish, yeah. Yeah, non-Christian. Yeah. So anyway. So from the, the word echo, which means to be similar, to be like, to appear. Hence, an image is a likeness or a form or an appearance of something. It's used in the New Testament of Christ as the image of God. For, uh, Colossians 1.15. He is the image, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And you have to remember something in use of image. It's not just a picture. It's not a weakening, or just like he is not a weakening or lessening of divinity by becoming human. He's not a feeble copy. He's the real thing. He's an illumination of its inner core and essence. The divine appears to us in the ekon of the incarnation. It's also used of us in creation. Let us make man in our image. Ekona. 
And that's why the image of the mother of God as the throne of God, the, the wider than the heavens. In the Eastern Rite in the Creed, it says, and I love this, this is where I like the Eastern Rite a little bit better than the Western Rite. In the Creed, it says in the incarnational clause, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. In Orthodoxy, says, in Western Rite, it says of the Virgin Mary. Now, they're both right, but just emphasizing different points. So, so don't get the idea, well, our creed is wrong and we got to get it right. We can't change it. It is what, it, what we've been given, uh, and it is correct. But let's just look at the Eastern Rite version of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And if she represents us, she is an icon, really, of us. And what we are supposed to be is icons of God in creation, which is what the incarnation is. And that lays out a big order for us. <laughs> But it also says when we see that image, I mean, redemption is here for you, me, all of us. For a bunch of people, I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, uh, unworthy of such redemption. So in any case, some theology of, some, of icons, remember this, when you go purchasing icons and setting them up, they're not of God in his essence. And notice one of the things we don't usually have is an image of God the Father. It's usually the incarnation of the Son, the second person. So it usually is an icon is of, of the way God, the various ways in which God manifests himself. So in the incarnation, in the lives of saints, remember the halo? The halo in, in iconography is, is rounded, and it seems to flow, radiate out of the individual. Whereas in statuary, you have to have the, it, you can't do that. And so really what happens in a lot of Western imagery in statuary is that there, it looks like something hovering over. So really the Holy Spirit is not something that permeates our beings and radiates outwardly, but which is just sort of hanging over like an addendum to us. Well, we get off the hook, you know, well, I didn't, didn't quite see that up there. I didn't know it was there. Whereas when it's radiating out of us, there's no excuse except repentance. Yes, sir? Random question. Do you think the depiction in Catholic statuary <coughs> of that could harken back to their view of Adam basically had supernatural grace removed from him? So in a sense, that is the supernatural, you know, added grace of God to the human nature as opposed to... No, I think it goes back to the Renaissance and the change of Christian art, the change of the structure of Christian art primarily. Now that may be lying back there. You know, one of the things about the same with the, the, the fish thing in the sand, uh, and even in the altar, we have, you know, the, the, the two candles come down with the gospel reading. Well, those were originally designed practically or used practically to light the reading so they could see the book. <laughs> You know, then they have big lights hanging down and windows up in the top, you know, and stuff. They were dark, those places. You know, the vestments were practical, was to warm you up because it was cold in some of those churches. Um, anywhere from Turkey to, to, to Sweden, you know, it was cold in those places and the vestments were to keep you warm. Now we were shedding everything because we were sweating and burning up and turning the air conditioner down so that you all are freezing in the pews and complaining to us and all kinds of things. So, but they're awake. Yeah. <laughs> what, you, what you can tell us is, you know, 
years ago, an Episcopalian bishop said to me about incense, he said, you can smell this or you can smell it, uh, you can smell the fires of hell or something like that. <laughs> so, you know, you can remind us that we can, we can enjoy this heat or we can enjoy another heat if we don't like it. <laughs> In any case, the, 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 the reason why the icon, the, the, the halo just is round is that that it's God radiating out of us and out of the saints. And no matter when it's rounded like that, no matter what position you get, it always looks that way. So even if you get at an angle like this, you've got the same round uh, imagery of the halo coming out. Doesn't change because the, the, the presence of God within us radiating out of us does not change. It's also he mount, how God manifests himself in the angels in the angelic realm, and even events, how he manifests himself in events. So we can, we can look at imagery. If you ever, one, I, one I like is one of the, do we have the last, no, is it the last supper? This one doesn't have it, doesn't have the halos on the, on the apostles, but sometimes you'll get the, the icons of the last supper, and all of the apostles except Judas have a halo. <laughs> so you can identify Judas in a hurry. He's the one without the halo, the one without, without whom the holiness is, is mani being manifested. Uh, so in any case, remember something, the incarnation, saints, angels, events. This is very akin to ecclesiastical hymnity, which I mentioned the last time. We have hymns to God, we have hymns about God, we have hymns to others about God, and we have hymns about what God has done in others. I was noticing in the Psalter the last couple of days, uh, how how psalms will be broken up and they'll do they'll vary the psalmist will vary from those those four or five positions depending on, on I don't know what his point was to, to do that to do it that way but he did so sometimes he'd be talking directly to God you're wonderful and then he'd be talking to others you know God does this and God does that and and then he'd be talking to the person to whom it was being done and then he's talking just sort of expressing his own feelings about it. Um, and goes back and forth. No wonder people don't understand this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and yet that's the way icons are. God manifests Himself in all of these things, and they're windows. We see. We we don't just look at a picture. It's not a piece of art. It's a window into that reality. We should be able to see through it. We want to see that, but it's not just a window because a window is just glass. It's just a frame with glass in it. It is a window that participates in that which it represents. And that's why Orthodox faithful go up and reverence the icons, kiss the icons, kiss the feet of the saints. Because that's an old Middle Eastern expression of, of greeting, to kiss one, to kiss the hand, to kiss the foot, whatever. And so we kiss the icons. So you don't have to kiss the icons if you don't want to, that's fine. You know, I like the Western Rite thing. You can, you can kneel down on Good Friday and kiss the feet of the cross, or you may do this and touch it, or you may just genuflect or bow. You can do all of those, and that's fine. So don't feel pressured to do one or the other. But it is a reverence, because there's more here in that image than just what we see. Much more. Just like each of us is the icon of God, in spite of what we see. Remember that and have mercy on me, okay? <laughs> so, 
you especially. <laughs> I'm talking about you have mercy on me. <laughs> We'll go both ways. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so remembering that icons participate in that which they represent, then one of the things we do when we pray is we pray in front of them. And also we learn to pray with our eyes. I've, I've found this to be true. I don't know. I've been doing it for years, but it's only been in the last couple of years that I've begun to see that, no pun intended, um, that... I, as my eyes would, as I would read the prayers that I was praying, my eyes would move back and forth among the icons in my study, uh, and and I realized that I was praying with my eyes. For example, if I, Lord Jesus Christ, look into the faith of Christ, face of Christ. Uh, if I want to talk about how he becomes incarnate among us, I, I talk, look at the Mother of God, I look at the saints around him, the angels, etc., and, and my eyes are moving back and forth, and I'm really gleaning all kinds of things just from what I see that I'd never seen in the icons before, or even really realized or put a, an understanding to. Praying with the eyes. In orthodoxy, we come to God, and we learn to pray with all of our beings. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Some, well, what is that? It's praying with the body. We come here... <laughs> A lot, some people in America like to say, we don't do those things. Well, I love, get on TV and watch any church. And when the pastor says, let us pray, shall we? What does everybody do? <laughs> Bow their heads. That's praying with the body. Try to stop it. You know, or do the contrary. What I would like to, when, you know, instead of let us pray, sit down. Or lie down and see how weird it feels. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know that from experience, mind you. I've just thought about it. But <laughs> just don't want you to get the wrong image about me. Rooney knows because he lies down when he prays. <laughs> anyway, they're laden with theological emphasis, as I mentioned last time about the image of the Mother of God. She represents all of us, and she represents, therefore, in that image, the glorification of humanity. And we, we you and I, are the throne of God. So we do so, we do what he says, because we are the image of God. And hence that, in, in, that was wider than the heavens. The, there's an icon called the Desus, which has Christ sitting enthroned, holding a book. And the book is opened, and he's got his hand up in blessing. And on one side of him is the Blessed Virgin Mary, and she's doing this. She's pointing to him. And on the other side of him is St. John the Baptist, and he's pointing to him. So really, in the Incarnation, it's God manifest in the Incarnation on a transparent throne. You can actually see the chair under him, but it's see-through. And around it is something like this. And actually, some scholars believe that at some point in time, the notion of the throne had wheels on it. It was called the chariot throne, and that the image of a sheet replaced it. And so when he's on the throne, he's being the image, the ancient image of the chariot throne in the temple. Christ is coming down. God is coming down to his people and manifesting himself and saying with the book, walk this way and giving us his blessing. And, the, and faith is to believe that. And on the two sides of the mother of God who represents obedience going like this, look at him. And on the other side, St. John the Baptist, who's 
he's all a mess and he looks like he needs to do some serious repentance. I like to tell women, you know, notice how the, the guy that's a mess is the male. Because uh, <laughs> most of y'all would say, say, yeah, that's men all right. So in any case, he's pointing. And so repentance, <coughs> obedience and repentance, the two aspects of true faith in Christ. That's what the image does. Take it away and you have a blank wall. Resurrection icons. You ever seen a resurrection icon? Christ standing on the broken gates of hell. I used to think because they laid out something like this that that was the cross. Why was he doing that? And all those people don't know what they're doing. They're the broken gates of hell or Hades, the abode of the dead where all the dead went before the resurrection. And he broke down the gates of hell. And it shows him inviting then Adam and Eve out of Hades. And if you look at this, you can find the evidence of this in the New Testament, in the Petrine epistles. He's inviting Adam and Eve and all the Old Testament saints out of the abode of death. And I would add here, if you don't think these are powerful, when I was in seminary, non-Orthodox seminary, we had to do it chaplaincy called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. And I was assigned to a couple of floors at Brackenridge General Hospital in, in Austin. And that place was, the building was new, and they had, at the time, boy, it's been 30-some years ago, so it's probably ready to be destroyed and something new built by now, who knows. But in any case, they, they, they prided themselves on the fact that they built a chapel. Now, this is going to get me in trouble, but who cares anyway? Uh, they, they prided themselves on the fact that they built, included a chapel in the, in the hospital. And so for us who were chaplains, chaplains and doing CPE, that was sort of a good thing, right? Except that when you went in there, it was a small room, like a closet, and they had one little pew in there. And because it was supposed to represent everybody, they couldn't have any imagery so there was no cross, nothing. And probably, probably, to make the room look bigger, they put a mirror on the wall. So when you walked in, you saw double the space because of the mirror. What I found interesting was when I did go in there to pray, the first time I did, I realized I was looking at myself. <laughs> and I thought, there's no point in praying here. I can do this anyway. <laughs> so, what a difference an icon of Jesus would have made. <laughs> and I don't want to pray to me. I've failed me enough times. So in answer to the question, to others, why are you using those icons? Remember that the biblical prohibition, number one, doesn't use the word icon. It uses idols. And our own thinking can be our idols. But it's not absolute. There are images allowed in, in the Old Testament. Same kind of things that some people would say are idols. They're not. It's not absolute. The prohibition is of the essence of God. And we don't make images of the essence of God. He revealed himself in the incarnation. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do we believe it or don't we? Just as he revealed himself in creation, and that's what we're reminded constantly in the thinking of the church about the creation and what God intended for us to be. 
Hence, we can replicate what he revealed about himself, and that's what we do. Now, to us, as a reminder, so that we don't get this, you know, get some high horse, well, oh, I got it right, and you don't. Something we need to learn is, is we can look to the iconographers of the church, those who actually do it properly, uh, and begin to learn something about what we should do. An iconographer, if he's truly signed by the church, assigned by the church, will, number one, engage in prayer long before he gets started and while he works through. So even the, the writing of the icon uh, is, is seen as prayerful work. Stud secondly, before he even gets started, he will study past icons of the issue to which he's been assigned, and often he doesn't just do what he wants. He gets assigned an image. And he'll study that to see what does the church say about this? What is important? And there are some varieties. We had two different varieties of St. Benedict at, at, uh, Saint, at the parish. Uh, one of St. Benedict always, always shows him with an open book or a scroll which represents his rule of life. But sometimes that would be omitted and St. Benedict would be simply giving some kind of a blessing uh, and you'd see other aspects of his life in the background like the cave where he was. So. One needs to study that and learn. A third point in that one is then study the theology of the icon. And we need to study the theology of the faith. The faith, remember theology means that what we say about God as he's revealed himself. So when we study it, we're not just getting head knowledge. We're trying to encounter God. And lastly, for the iconographer is not to exceed the assignment. We are not to exceed the assignment. So we... It, you know, sort of like in your sermon, you know, God does things and we're going, do you know what you're doing? Yeah, so we don't exceed the assignment. We do our part in response to it, what we've been told to do, and nothing more. And sometimes it won't seem like it's enough. That's okay. I've found that some of the smallest things done repetitively are far more productive than any of the things I can conjure up, which are usually big and, and I burn out and I fail and that kind of stuff. And if you're laughing, it's because you've been there and you've done it. So, so, so then the, the, another thing, the second point of this, the first one is <coughs> the prayer aspect and studying what the church says. <coughs> the second one, icons are not three-dimensional, so we're not creating life in this world. They're flat, and so they're, they're not three-dimensional. Sometimes you'll have shadows like this on the face to create some sense of the facial features. But basically, they're flat. And if you see buildings in the background, you don't, you don't see depth like you do in Western imagery, because that's meant to be this worldly. And, and, and depth, as we understand it, is a product of this life, these limitations. So the imagery has to be not, has to not be three-dimensional. And lastly, we only do what the church is, instructs because this work is not an artistic expression. It's not an artistic expression. And our lives are not artistic expressions. This isn't all about me finding myself. Remember what Christ said? He who loses his life will find it. And he who finds his life in this world will lose it. It's not about the way the world, you know, you'll... If I come to Jesus, 
one day I'll be a great individual remembered from generation to generation. <laughs> and you all have my name in, in etched in your book of remembrance <laughs> forever and ever. The fact that there is most of us leave this life forgotten in three generations, no one knows who we were. But what do we say? May his memory be eternal. That to be remembered in the eyes of God, that Christ does not say to us on the great judgment day, out of my sight I never knew you, but welcome home. Because he sees himself in us. It's not an artistic expression. We are not artistic expressions. We are the real thing. Father, yes? With regard to our Christmas threat, we have had observations from some of our Protestant friends say, we don't believe in the resurrection. Well, Jesus is still on the cross. They said, we would never have Jesus on the cross in our church. Uh, yeah, that's because in some places, in some circles, misunderstanding, uh, one, it's almost putting a, a chronological theme on the cross. So you must have an empty cross because that's where it ended up. And that's why a lot of churches have empty crosses. But in fact, what we say is, yeah, it is that. And we celebrate that in Holy Week and we celebrate that in every Mass. But the fact of the matter is, Christ really died. God incarnate really united himself with death. And St. Peter mentions it in one of his epistles I should have written. Do you know which one it is? Well, he's, that's because he's glorified. He's glorified. And, and that, has its, that has its purpose, too, because he's in the, priest, he's in the vestments of a Western Rite priest. And it's really interesting, in the Eastern Rite, uh, the church where we came in was a Greek church, and on the doors of the iconostasis, uh, they had an image of Christ wearing. There was the door, the icon. The doors, of the icon, are the are the Annunciation. But there was a sliding page instead of a curtain, it had a sliding icon that they slid across, and it was a Christ in the vestments of an Eastern Rite bishop. And I and I told everybody that's the same thing as the Christus Rex. And it, what it tells us is he's the great high priest. And we are all called to be priests of creation. That's the goodness of the Christus Rex. Yes, sir? You might, uh, you might ask if they ever set up a nativity scene. Uh, uh, the, like, good point. In the manger. That's good. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, <laughs> right? Because he's not still in the manger, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's good. Well, we, we, can't, we can't limit, you know, the chronology of Christ's life is important, but we can't limit reality to that. And we have entered into an unlimited reality. Uh, as is what is it, Hebrews 12 you have not come to and he lists things that are chronologically true and historically true he said you have come to and we, we, we like to read one about the angels and heaven and stuff like that but it says the, the souls of just men made perfect <laughs> you have come to that and the church captures that we've come to that reality we now see with those eyes and the icons help us see with those eyes you know, one of the things with what Father's mentioning about iconography, especially in the face of what, and I, I get this every now and again, I really don't get it as much as I used to, for whatever reason, without people coming and saying, but God said, don't make any graven images. I still get it. 
what I tend to do for them is to say, I hear what you're saying, but let me have you go read and I'll give them the passages that where God is telling his people how to adorn the tabernacle. I said, I want you to go read that and then come back to me. Because I think you'll see, if you read that, I think you'll find a little confusion. God, that God must not have meant what you're thinking. Because if they read that, they're going to see exactly how many angels and what they should look like on the tapestry and in what color and where this object should go and that object should go. All of these graven images according to what they're thinking. But understand why I do that. One of the things that I've learned more and more as I've gone on is the value of Jesus' whole wisdom in parables. What was that? To present them, but you've got to go chase it. Not to think I have to have all the convincing answers but to direct them on a journey. Because trust me, God will reveal Himself in His church to them far better than you and I ever will. It's not that we shouldn't have answers. Don't hear me say that. Or give answers. But the more we can let the journey be theirs and send them in the right direction, the more they'll see, yeah, this can't mean what I used to believe. And their hearts open up to what needs to be revealed. So think about that. And I, based upon the conversations I've had with many of you, it seems like most of us have the same story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, we were, you know, Eastern for business and right for like 15 years. I've, I've noticed it seems like the main objection people have is not so much having them there because, I mean, like, the people walk, they've got their homes have like a wall of crosses. Mm -hmm. It's a popular decor trend. It seems like the it seems like the, the main objection is the, the veneration thing of the icon because you know we'd make a metania another one kiss the icon you know the hand of the scroll the, and, then, and another one and you know all the crying out loud there are times there was called for to make a full prostration you know instead of the metania instead of the vowel that that seems like I, I think that's that's what I notice is like the, the main objection that people have like oh my goodness it's bowing down to this you know this. Explaining it and try to explain it and, and offer like maybe an analogy, like uh, I don't know, praying for me. Just you know, like please don't don't think this. You know, don't don't think that I'm you know worshiping this 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 uh, picture on this board, as you might call it. You know, think of when you you know think of when you what happens when there's a there's a flag unfurled. You stand up, put your hand over your heart, recite something.
mother of God, it's, it, you know, is, is, is the Blessed Virgin Mary standing in front of me? Is Christ in front of me? No, but I've got this icon. You know, and, uh, He's I, always in front of you. <laughs> and everywhere else. Yeah, I... <laughs> We can't, we can't convince people, you know, we can't convince people of this. So the best thing to do is to give our feeble answers and let it ride. Uh, however, uh, that, that is a good, that, in order to understand the answer, we have to be drawn into it experientially. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you think that doing the Tanya's or, or genuflections or whatever to the icon is going to somehow open one up, it's, it's part of a larger package of overall, the overall faith. Uh, and, and that's something that someone from outside can't really grasp, and neither did any of us when we were outside. Uh, you know, I first studied orthodoxy or discovered orthodox theology when I was in Episcopal Church Seminary and I thought I understood it and I admitted to Bishop Basil recently that I think I was orthodox for 10 years before the door the windows finally opened and I began to understand what this is all about so I find that's not just for me that's common for most people for most of us we're having to be retrained yes Yeah. And when I walked into a room, I had to greet my grandparents and a, with a hug and a kiss. And it's not that hard for me to follow when I enter uh, St. Peter. He is our patron saint, so I greet him with a kiss and a, and a bow because that was the way I was raised to, to revere my elders. And I, but that's been lost in our society. Well, after my grandma and my grandmother and my grandfather passed, who I was extremely, extremely close to. There are pictures of them in the house, and I would occasionally frequent them and give them a kiss and yeah. tell them I love them. Yeah, people do that all the time. They take pictures of loved ones down off the walls and kiss them, and then and yet we kiss an icon. What, what are you doing? <laughs> I had actually read, maybe y'all can confirm this or deny it, uh, that people back then that couldn't read, it was also a way to tell an entire story yeah. without... You know, just by looking at it. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's it's really true, and that's where a lot of the imagery came in. The, the the broadness of the stories of the icons, not just of the individual, but the whole. You know, if you have a picture of the Annunciation of the Saint Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you not just have that, but you have the setting, and you have another little things going on in the in imagery along that because they tell the whole story, uh, and a lot of people in the first, you know, up probably the first six centuries, the majority of the people in the pews were not educated, couldn't read, so that they had to use their eyes to see because they couldn't read the words. A picture literally was worth a thousand Yeah, words. exactly. So so yeah. there is some truth to that. It's not the only thing, but yeah, there That's is That's what turned my switch yeah. was that, like, I can look at it and see an entire story. Yeah, and that's the idea. It says more than just what meets the eye, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, you listen to the radio, the Christian radio station, and they say, worship with us. And we're like, we're not worshiping, we're just listening to some songs. 
A lot of people don't realize that the, the, there are two New Testament terms, for at least two in the Greek, for for worship and, and distinguishing between worship and veneration. And we hear the same thing when we hear the words. We don't really think there is a difference. So we have to get past our cultural limitations. Uh, and there are a lot of things. Father, do you think part of it could be just for, you know, 2,000 years on since the time of Christ and the apostles? And idolatry, for the most part, except maybe parts of Africa and Southeast Asia, has been completely wiped out. So we have no even cultural, historic sense of what idolatry actually was and how it was practiced, right? We're, we just have this puritanical, iconoclastic inheritance of, you know, different Protestants from Europe, but we don't really, unless we go visit a Hindu temple or something, we don't even know what idolatry actually looked like. I don't know, I'm just curious if you think that's maybe a part of it. We don't really, we, we don't even, when it says don't have idols, we're like, whoa, what does that even mean, right? Because we don't have any grasp of what we've, we've lost track, though. We've lost track, though, of the fact that an idol can be... A, the, our idols, we still have idols. Right, right. They're, they're intellectual and academic now, rather right. than anything else. I just think historically... Yeah. <coughs> we, yeah, we would say, no, I don't I don't create an idol of my academic ability and set it up in the house and fall down before right. it and do something like that. We don't do that. Right. Uh, but, but, I can, but I can have idols... Uh, just in the spiritual life, just wanting Christ my way. You know, I, I, love, I love Job because if you look in the Hebrew text, the early part of the book, he's, he's, arguing, he's sort of glorifying himself for having been faithful in the beginning, and then he starts getting really mad at God for not doing it his way. And at one point he even says, you come down here, and you can see him raising the clenched fist, you know. You come down here, and that's where God says, where were you when I created the world, you know. Uh, so our idols are intellectual now. So we still have them. They've just changed. And so we don't, we don't think, why well, because it's, we don't have a statue of it that somehow we don't do that anymore. We're enlightened. That's the idol right there. It's, we're enlightened. So, so next week is off. off with a Thanksgiving meal. Two weeks, uh, we'll talk about why we worship on Sundays as opposed to Saturdays.